This is my dad, Dr. Theodore Tapper, who spent decades as a pediatrician in South Philadelphia. For years, my dad's been telling me about a former patient, C.J. Rice, currently doing 30 to 60 years in prison for a crime my father insists Rice could physically not have committed. It was impossible. No DNA, no guns found, no crime scene evidence ties Rice to the September 2011 nighttime shooting and wounding of four people. One eyewitness who had known CJ for years initially and repeatedly told police she could not identify the two gunmen. I think it was approximately 20 hours where she had spoken to at least, I think it was three different officers and had never said, look, this is somebody that's in my neighborhood. But overnight, police say a confidential informant told them that Rice may have been involved. So detectives then showed this photo array to the eyewitness and she then fingered Rice. Three years later, Philadelphia police changed policy, barring any investigating detectives from conducting the lineups because of the possibility of suggestion. This is the position where one of the shooters was, the one that was ID'd as C.J. Rice the night of September 25th, 2011. The eyewitness testified that he was 20 feet away. 20 feet away, however, would actually have put him like here. This is 20 feet away. Where I was before, all the way over there, that's more like 50 feet away. Maybe even more, depending on exactly where he was behind this car that was over here. Witnesses said they saw the gunman running, but my dad had examined the 17-year-old C.J. Rice just five days earlier, and he insisted C.J. was in no condition to run. He had staples in his abdomen over approximately an eight or nine inch surgical incision from his breastbone straight down as far as you could go. That's because three weeks earlier, C.J. Rice had been shot three times in a case of what he thought was mistaken identity. There was no way this young man, five days after I saw him, was running anywhere, let alone walking fast. My dad demonstrates here just how slowly he remembers C.J. Rice leaving his office that day. With great difficulty and with very great slowness, when C.J. Rice was named as a suspect, his mother, Crystal Cooper, met him at the police station so he could turn himself in. And the detective took his arm to help him walk up the stairs. C.J.'s family could not afford legal counsel, so court-appointed private attorney Sanjay Weaver took his case on. And Weaver did not provide C.J. with an adequate defense. Weaver appears to have never visited the crime scene. She never obtained the location data for Rice's cell phone, which he told her to do since he said it would show that he was nowhere near the crime scene. After the trial, then CJ started telling me, oh, she should have did this, I told her to do this, she didn't listen to me. She never prepared or even met with witnesses, such as my father, who met her for the very first time on the day he was to testify at trial about CJ's wound and pain. Every time I talked extensively with the, with the lawyers in person, in their office, this is the only time I had never had a conversation of any length at all before the trial. At the trial, Sanjay Weaver never requested that Rice's case be decertified to juvenile court. She never mentioned that the only eyewitness to place CJ at the scene 
initially failed not once, but three times to identify him as the shooter. She never challenged the eyewitness about the inaccurate assessment of her distance from the shooters. She never introduced Rice's hospital records. Before the trial in 2013, I had not seen any hospital records at all. My dad obtained them a few years later after the trial at C.J. Rice's request. Many things surprised me. One was a bullet that fractured his pelvis. It just made it even firmer belief that there's no way he could have run. C.J. Rice had an alibi, a witness who said he was with him the night of the shooting. Just from a view of the record, it seemed that the alibi was, you know, ill-prepared. There was nothing to corroborate it. But unlike with C.J.'s co-defendant, whose alibi witnesses told their stories to the police long before the trial, Sanjay Weaver never told C.J.'s alibi witness to give a statement. So on the stand, the prosecutor turned Weaver's incompetence into evidence of him lying, asking the witness, quote, Today is the first day that you got in front of anybody other than the defense attorney and told them about where C.J. was? Sanjay Weaver also inexplicably called someone who was not with C.J. at the time of the crime as an alibi witness. It all made C.J. look guilty. We can't ask Sanjay Weaver about any of this. She passed away in 2019. C.J.'s co-defendant was acquitted. C.J. was sentenced to 30 to 60 years in prison. If there were a new trial and some of these things were addressed, the juror would have a hard time not having a reasonable doubt. C.J.'s new attorney, Jason Kadish, applied for conviction relief in county court, arguing that C.J. Rice had ineffective counsel. But the same judge who had presided over C.J. Rice's trial heard the appeal, and he rejected it. C.J. Rice's story, which I tell in the new issue of The Atlantic magazine, is important because of how unusual it is not. A poor kid with no means and an incompetent court-appointed lawyer. The assembly line of a criminal justice system too often not focused on justice. My father continues to support and exchange letters with C.J. Rice in prison. C.J.'s mom holds on to memories and holds out hope that he will one day be free if someone in power seeks to right what she sees as an injustice.